Well, I invite you to open up to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 16 this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Father, we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would teach us uh, from these words, your holy book, in Christ's name, amen. Last week we learned that two are better than one, and that three are better than two, and we learned that loneliness uh, was something that we, we don't desire, and it's a great problem, as great as injustice, Solomon says, as great as oppression, poverty, and envy. We were not made to be alone. We were created for companionship. And after the fall and its separation, our separation from God and our separation from one another, we continue to need one another. And the beauty is that's what Christ has provided for us. He reconciled us to God through his perfect life, his substitutionary death, and his glorious resurrection. And then he gave us his spirit, and he gave us his church, uniting us to himself and uniting us to one another. From the earliest days of the Christian church in the New Testament, they were never loners. They never went it alone. We read in Acts 2, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And and then Paul pleads with the church in Philippians, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. The church is a community. It's made up of individuals, of course, but the many members form one body, and that is the body of Christ. And so if we are going to live our lives in accordance with the will of God, if we are going to be spiritually enriched, if we're going to be faithful to the calling that God has given us, we need one another. Better is companionship. And following up on that vital message concerning companionship, Solomon shares now a final story. He builds on this idea of better is companionship, and he, and he takes it one step further. We come to verse 13. This is Solomon's fourth better statement in chapter 4. You, you may recall he told us in verse 3, better not to be born than to see all the evil deeds that are done under the sun. In verse 6, he said, it's better is contentment. In verse 9, as we just reviewed, better is companionship. And now building on that companionship, he tells us better is taking counsel. 
Companionship is not only good for our work, it's not only good for our walk, it's not only good for our warmth and warfare, as we learned the other week, it's also necessary if we are going to lead well. See, companionship is a good source of wisdom. And in order to get at this, to explain this to us, to help us understand, he tells a story, Solomon, in verse 13 to 16. It's the story of an old and foolish king who's replaced by a poor and wise youth. And this is the fourth and last comparison in this chapter. He began with comparing the living and the dead, or those who were never born and never saw all the evil under the sun, and those who actually did. He, he, He compared the envious with the content, he's compared the loner with those who have had friends, and now he compares the poor and wise with the old and foolish. Or to get more to the point, he compares the one who takes advice with the one who no longer heeds advice. Look at verse 13. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Now, this is a tragic figure, this old and foolish king. Proverbs 11 tells us, where there is no guidance, a nation falls, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 12 says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 15, without counsel, plans go wrong, but with many advisors, they succeed. And so that's the way of wisdom. And see, in Israel, the elderly were considered wise. And certainly the king needed to be wise. But here we have an old king who will not take advice, and thus he is a fool. The word advice means be uh, instruction or admonition or, or warning. This king was unwilling to be warned. He was unwilling to be admonished. He was unwilling to be instructed. He is isolated and alone, like, like we just learned, a rich man in verses 7 and 8 who devoted his whole life to his riches, gathering those riches, and he didn't have anyone to work with or walk with or, or anyone to, to warn him when he was going to make mistakes. Well, this king is no different, this old and foolish king. He believes he doesn't need anyone else. Uh, there, there was a time when that wasn't the case. We, we notice that in the text. It says, he no longer knew how to take advice. I don't know the reason. We're not given it. Maybe it was his success. He just thought, I'm just so much better than everybody. How can I get advice? Or maybe he just didn't trust anybody uh, at all to share anything with him. Maybe it was simply pride. Whatever the reason, he believes he can do it by himself now. He believes he can do it alone. He fired all his advisors, so to speak. And so when he makes a decision uh, for himself or for the kingdom, there's no one to tell him the consequences of his choice. Now, this is a problem with any leader, of course, including church leaders who think they have all the answers. Uh, many success, maybe success or pride is, uh, is what I meant to say. They, they've risen in their head and, and they're so proud of who they are and what they've accomplished, say, in their church. It's, it, it, it's, it's beaming, it's, it's exciting, look at me. And they, and they begin to not want to take advice from other people. 
Or maybe they just have yes men. I, I've seen this in the years of ministry I, I've been in. I, I've seen pastors who are wonderful men who, who then bring around them people to just say yes to them all the time. And it always ends in disaster, as it did in the situation of people I knew. Uh, they never leave room for people who will question their decisions. Anyone who challenges them, well, they're just, you know, removed. <laughs> they're demoted. As we just read, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to advice. And so, if somebody who seems wise never listens to advice, the Scripture's clear. They are a fool, and this king played the fool. He was unwilling to be vulnerable. He was unwilling to allow others to give him advice and confront him when necessary. And therefore, what happens is he made himself vulnerable to being replaced, and that's what happens here. And this is where the poor and wise youth comes in. Solomon now is going to continue this story. Verse 14, look there. For he, he's talking about the poor and wise youth, went from prison to the throne. Though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after win. And so what we have here is a a rags to riches story. It's a story of a young man who's risen from obscurity and poverty to fame and royalty. He, He takes the place of the king who used to rule before him and obviously ruled him. He started off in prison And maybe he was there because the king was jealous of him. Again, we're not told. Or maybe the king just resented him. But we do know he got out of prison, and then he eventually became king. And according to verse 16 here, he ruled over this vast empire. There was no end of all the people who followed him. Now, if I was a betting man, I am not. But if I were, I'd bet that this story that Solomon is painting is pointing back to Joseph. Think about it. Joseph was a youth who was put in prison only to be taken out of prison and then rise to power. In Genesis 41, we read, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. The youth Joseph was wise. He went from poverty to riches. He went from prison to ruler. And when we read in Ecclesiastes that all the people followed the new king, that's in verse 16, again we're reminded of Joseph. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. And so it seems that Solomon has in mind a great wise ruler like Joseph. But the story doesn't end there. At the end of verse 16, we read, Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and is striving after win. Uh, Despite all his wisdom, despite his popularity, this rags-to-riches story, this noble king is eventually forgotten 
and replaced. One writer said, the new king has reached a pinnacle of human glory only to be stranded there. See, the people are fickle and, 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 and fame is kind of fleeting. And we have come across this scenario before in Ecclesiastes. In chapter 2, Solomon said this, For of the wise and of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How popular a ruler is, how popular anyone is, the day will come when someone will take his place and all his glory will fade. No king under the sun is remembered forever. He is soon forgotten. And that sounds like Joseph as well, because when you get to the book of Exodus, we read, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Joseph was a wise king. He was a great ruler. He was vastly popular leader, and yet he was forgotten not long after his rule. And that's the story. There you have it. That's the story of the comparison between the poor and the wise youth and the old and foolish king. And it's a proverbial story, and so it's meant to teach us some practical lessons. Let's, let's just go through a few of them. One is that wealth and position are no guarantee of success. Poverty and seemingly failure are no barriers to achievement either. And so the key to that is wisdom. The key is wisdom. Another lesson, it's that age does not always equal wisdom, and youth does not always exclude some from being wise. Uh, there are wise young people and old foolish people. And so in one sense, the story is a warning to older Christians. We've been in, uh, around for a while, and just because we're older does not mean we're acting wisely. And, and in another sense, it's an encouragement if you're a new believer or a young Christian, even someone young and poor, as we read here, an unknown can do valuable work for the kingdom of God. Again, what's the key? The key is gaining wisdom. And as important as wisdom is, there is another lesson here. We also need to remember that it can only take us so far, wisdom. It can only take us so far. It will not solve all our problems. Of course, he warns against going it alone. Two are better than one, but we ought to realize that in this earthly life, well, this earthly life will come to an end. It'll end, as we just saw, and then our greatest accomplishments will just be forgotten. One writer says that in the end, everyone turns out to be expendable. And so we should not put so much stock in earthly position in either our own or anyone else's. And see, that realization that despite how wise we are, there are limits to what we can do and accomplish, that realization should remind us to do what? It should remind us to remain humble, even as we work together with others. And so that's, a, that's an important lesson. And there's several others. We are reminded that fame is fleeting. And none of us, I don't know, maybe you are, I'm not famous, but it's fleeting even if I were famous. It really shouldn't be our main life pursuit. We are reminded again of the importance of companionship. That is true. We talked about that a lot. But there is one main lesson. There's one main focus of this text. Of all the contrasts in the passage, youth versus age, you have poverty versus wealth, wisdom versus folly, the most important is our attitude toward advice. The old king no longer took advice. The young king did. The young king was not isolated. He was not alone. 
Unlike that, the foolish king who, who, was, who was solitary. As I said, he understood that two are better than one. And he had this teachable spirit. And a teachable spirit's important. And in Calvin's life, you hear us talk about John Calvin a lot. And we have tons of writings from Calvin. He was one of the greatest minds the church has ever known. And, and we don't have much about his personal life. There's not much there. But in one commentary, I believe, I should have looked it up after the first service, but Psalm 150, I think, or one of his commentaries, I think, in the psalm, he shares some personal information. And he's talking about his life as a scholar. And when he gets saved, though, there's this conversion that happens. And he said, I was brought into a teachable spirit. He was humbled into this teachable spirit. And see, and that's what we need. In life, when we isolate ourselves from others and shield ourselves from advice, we can get in all kinds of trouble. I mean, there is just obvious ways. You know, you're about to make an investment. Everyone around you is saying, this is foolish. And they're warning you, but you're not listening. And then you go and you lose everything. Or you think of a person who's struggling with alcoholism. And, and they won't listen to the wisdom and the loving wisdom of their family and friends to go to rehab, so they ignore the advice. Um, someone, a man or, or a woman who's thinking about an affair, and they don't tell anybody, they, don't, they keep it from everybody. Why? Because they know what they're going to hear. They don't want to take advice. Um, they have no ability to listen to advice. And, and, and you see, some of these things are small, uh, some of them are really big and can be life-altering. By isolating ourselves, we can almost guarantee that we'll make a foolish decision, that we will make a mistake sooner probably rather than later. Now, that's not to say, obviously, that advice is always wise that you receive. We know that. Or, Or your way is not the right way. That's not the point at all. The point is, as the Proverbs passage I quoted earlier states, without counsel, plans go wrong. But without many, with many advisors, that is, they succeed. See, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to advice. It's not saying that your own way isn't right. It's saying that you're unwilling to listen to advice. The point, again, is not that you may not have come to the right answer or conclusion. The point is we need to be willing to listen. As the, as, as the saying goes, God gave us two ears and only one mouth. And so what? We should learn to listen twice as much as we speak. That's a good, that's a good word for a preacher. And James puts it this way, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Now, James had in mind the hearing of the Word of God, of course, uh, but the principle applies generally as well. It, it, we need to be quick to hear the advice and counsel of others who love us and know us. The point is that we, we will always follow. The point isn't that we will always be what The advice we get will be wise. The point is that we must learn to listen. Now, this doesn't apply to when the Scripture is clear and God has spoken. It's not like I come to the Scripture and it says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And I say, well, let me have a conversation with my counselors and find out what I'm supposed to do. It's clear. When God speaks, there's one response. It's obedience. 
God's spoken on something, but not everything is as clear in Scripture, right? That's clear, but he hasn't spoken on every issue. What job should I take? Where should I live? Who should I marry? These things aren't spelled out for us in, in, in you know, chapter and verse. Some, some things are not clear. And so God, in his love and wisdom, has given us the gift of others. Church, pastors, teachers, elders, family, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, he's given us others to help us make wise decisions. See, we must never come to the place where we think we have all the answers, where we think we're always right, that our way is always the right way, that we have somehow managed to look at every situation uh, from every possible angle and therefore are not in need of any counsel. We need to be teachable. See, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will be willing to learn from others. If you're a follower of Christ, you'll be willing to listen to others. You'll be willing to be warned by others. You'll be willing to be instructed by others. You'll, you'll be willing to be rebuked if necessary. You'll be willing to take advice. You will be willing to learn. You will recognize how foolish it is to think that you can stand alone. If you're a follower of Christ, that will be true. Why? What's the reason why that is true? The reason why is because a follower of Christ understands, recognizes, that if anybody in this world could have done it alone, it would have been Jesus, and yet he didn't. When we look at his life, we learn that he didn't stand alone, but in one place, and we'll talk about that. See, although I believe this story is about Joseph, pointing back to Joseph, that's the story that he had in mind, the history. I think it points beyond Joseph, and it looks forward and beyond to Jesus. One writer said the end of Ecclesiastes 4 is really the story of Jesus and his humble and teachable spirit. See, like the young king in the story, Jesus was born in poverty and obscurity. The Bible says when he was a young boy living in the home of Joseph and Mary, he increased in wisdom, Luke 2. Like the young king, he took advice. I'm sure he listened to his parents' counsel. I'm sure he listened to the rabbis and when he was in the when he was in the synagogue but more importantly he listened to his heavenly father's advice. He came we're told. He came to do his father's will. For I have come down from heaven he said, not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. Not my will but yours be done. Not my counsel but yours be done. And so he followed God's advice. And he followed it where? He followed it all the way to the cross where he died for our sins. And then, then, when the time was right, the Father raised Jesus up from the grave to be our king. And so the man born in poverty and obscurity was exalted to the throne of royalty and everlasting glory. The poor, wise youth became the exalted, eternal king. And so now, now there is no end to all the people that Jesus leads. People all through history, from all over the world, they continue and will continue following his rule. And see, this is where the contrast comes. We've talked about the comparisons. This is the contrast. Unlike the poor and wise king in the story, unlike Joseph, Jesus will never be forgotten. 
He will never be forgotten. His wisdom and his counsel is not an earthly wisdom and counsel, but a heavenly, eternal wisdom and counsel. He will never be forgotten. Those in heaven will sing his praise forever and ever. And those in hell, minute by minute, for all eternity, will cringe in horror at the thought that they rejected him. And so if you were wise, you will take the Father's counsel. We will follow Christ's example and we'll live by grace. We will turn to Jesus for wisdom. We will ask God to give us contentment as we're supposed to. We will ask God to give us companionship as we've seen, as Jesus had with his disciples and with his Father. And we will ask God to give us a teachable spirit so that we can listen and so that we can learn from others and ultimately from Jesus himself in his word. And we will thank God for giving us these things in our union with Christ. Why? Because in Christ we have contentment. It's in Christ that we have companionship. And it's in Christ and his word and spirit that he gave us the advice we need to live and lead and be useful for the kingdom of God. That, beloved, is the main lesson of these verses. Better is counsel when it comes especially from Christ. Well, let me quickly close by giving a little advice I hope you'll hear it. It's particularly for those of you who have not bowed your knee to King Jesus. I, I do this every week. I, I know you don't want to hear it again, but you're going to hear it. I know you don't believe everything. I, I know that you believe everything is just going to be fine. I know you've taken your own counsel, your own advice, that you have nothing to worry about. And every time somebody like myself confronts you with your own mortality, you ignore it. But here's my advice in light of everything we learn. It's actually not mine. It's God's counsel. Each week I come before you. I preach the word of God. I instruct you from scripture. I admonish you to come to Jesus for your salvation. I, I warn, as advice the word means, I warn of the coming judgment. Instruct you, admonish you, warn you. And each week... If you're an unbeliever and you're here or listening and you've listened before, you have not repented of your sin and you haven't turned to Christ, you leave here determined to do it on your own to isolate yourself from Christ. It's as if you're saying to God, I don't need your advice. I don't need your counsel. And I can only surmise that you believe you have a wiser way of being saved. Now, why would I say that? Well, if you're here, or if you're listening, I at least believe, I assume you believe in God. Oh, there are people out there that won't take my advice, and they don't care because they don't believe in God. And so if you don't come to Christ, and you're here for salvation, you must believe, well, there's a better way. There's got to be a better way than God's way. Well, here's my advice. Don't play the fool. Don't you see how foolish it is to believe that your way is better than God's way that he's revealed to us in his word? It's one thing not to take my advice in a situation or a friend's advice. It's quite another to reject God's advice. So don't tempt God. 
Don't mock him by rejecting his counsel. See, here's the reality. Here's another uh, uh, bit of information that's wise for you to think about and consider is you may not have another Sunday. You may not have another day. And, And so don't wait any longer. Come to Christ. Give him your whole life. Trust him. Submit to him. See, submit to his counsel when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Submit to his counsel when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Submit to his counsel when he says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Here's the counsel. Submit. And this is for everybody. All of us here, submit to Christ, believer and unbeliever alike. Submit to his counsel, and then you can be sure that you will be wise. Better is counsel when we have others to give it to us. Let's pray. Father, we recognize how often we want to go our own way. We think we are smarter, that we don't believe better is counsel when there are others who can teach us. And so we ask, Lord, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, give us a teachable frame, a teachable frame of mind that we would submit and be willing to hear and listen, particularly your word as you speak to us through it. In Christ's name, amen.